Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to this iteration of Faster Than Stand Up. I'm Brent Lamont. Today's conversation is going to be what I think is going to be parking lot size. So buckle up, get ready for you know longer than 15 minutes. We're going to have a conversation about domain-driven design. And this is yet another topic that has come as a request from one of our faithful listeners. So those of you who watch or listen, please feel free to send us some ideas because I'm happy to talk about them. Uh, this conversation might be a little technical, but I'm going to try and keep it as balanced as I can because, you know, we're here to talk about agility, not do deep dives on technical issues. So joining me, uh, all soon to be friends of the pod, Phil Costura, who's part of the S4 HANA EPD PLM team and DDD coach. Philip, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Of course. And Dennis Hemping, who's part of the CPA team at, uh, as part of PE within SAP. That's a lot of acronyms. And if you're not part of SAP, you don't care. But if you are part of SAP, you're like, oh, cool. That's really cool stuff. Stuff, Dennis, thank you for being here. Thank you very much. Thanks for having us. So conversation today is I want to go through a couple of things. So uh, I'm going to say, Phil, can you give me a high level overview of what domain-driven design is? Um, domain-driven design is a design discipline. So you, let's assume you want to provide software for someone and you really understand, you really grasp the domain you're in. So let's assume you're in plant maintenance and you can talk eye to eye with the service technician, what they are doing. So you really understand their language and you can express this properly in the models, be it in your modeling at the whiteboard, in your software model, in your database model. And you also do not shy away from the complexity which is in that specific domain of it now, as an example, plant maintenance. So you really dig in there and you understand the complexities this service technician has in their daily work. And so that you are not overloaded cognitively, so that the cognitive load that you're facing is not too high, you separate this into smaller contexts and you do this continuously. That means in an agile fashion, and that is where the handshake already is to the, to the agile world. So this is where you try to find an end user, an expert in the domain, and you have conversations. So you have the individuals interacting with each other, you, you have uh, this collaboration with the customer. And if the customer is changing their opinion, you try to model this change and how it affects your, your solution. So that is at least what I see how, what domain-driven design is and how it interlinks with Agile. Awesome. Dennis, any thoughts on, on all of that? Or you, you're like, nope, he's got it covered. Well, the, the interesting thing, I think, is that there are so many angles that you can attack uh, the, the whole topic from. I mean, originally, the way um, I came to domain-driven design and also the way I, I met Philip then is that I was very much asking myself, okay, cool, like everyone is trying to do microservices now. And I think trying to do is probably more accurate uh, currently, unfortunately. Um, and there is a very large risk of building some kind of distributed monolith where you're like, you, you separate stuff and you put network in between. Uh, but if you don't get this separation right, 
then really you are very much suffering from that and have pretty much shot yourself in the foot. And I think this is also one of the angles where domain-driven design really shines because like essentially it says, if you look towards your business domain, towards your problem space for answers, how to separate your system into different components, then you will arrive at a better solution than, than if you just look at what are the entities in my system. See, and and I think there are even... No, no, go ahead. Sorry. sorry. Go ahead. No, 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 please. <laughs> no, I think like, like we now, like Philip and I both introduced one angle and there are probably 10 more where domain-driven design somehow interlinks. Well, it was interesting because... Uh, hearing the conversation about how uh, it's a different way of looking at it instead of just going down the hole of microservices, because I think a lot of, you know, if we think about the audience who usually listens to this podcast, it's mostly uh, people who are interested in, in agility as a whole, but they're more of a, how am I going to be a better scrum master? How am I going to be a better coach? How am I going to be a better product owner? You know, so they hear microservices and they're like, oh, I know about microservices and gosh, they're a pain in my back. So, you know, how do how do we yes. solve that problem? Right. So. Um, and yeah, please. There we have a there we have a distinct idea how to go forward from that. And um, maybe um, as, a, as one thing that you need to consider that at any product developing organization at SAP is or any other competitors, the distance from us to the end user is rather large. Mm -hmm. So a lot of us never really talk to an end user and we never get their language. So we never understand where they are, where they come from, because we have this network of, we call it the, the corporate silent agent game. There is the customer's IT, there's the sales executive, the product managers, the solution managers, the consultants, the chief product owner, the chief architect, and so on. And then it trickles down to the uh, <clears throat> area product owner, the team product owner, and so on. And all of them have their own bias, their own idea, what is really required. And then you as an engineer, including the architects, you get some mushy, fuzzy, not really, well-specified requirements and then you get this thrown over the fence and then it said uh go go build something uh, and that until uh 2211 for those out of uh um, outside sap that means november uh, the year is 22 and 11 is then november so that means uh you start with your own you try to you are on your own you try to make up stuff you think it and then just to quote uh, Alberto Brandolini the inventor of event storming it is the engineer's misunderstanding that gets released into production not the expert knowledge so it's your your misunderstanding that you build it is your misinterpretation of requirements and that is where uh, domain driven design comes in and tells you hey take a step back Yes, you want to build microservices, but the way that you have to go until you're there, this is a journey. This is uh, pack your backpack, 
get your hiking shoes ready, maybe sharpen your machete to go through the jungle because you need to figure out what is ahead of you and prepare your team that this is all what you figure out along the way is your current understanding and your best guess and but you iteratively discover what's in there so you have again over and over sync points with your uh with your domain experts that can be your solution managers can be your product managers can be your consulting team that you have can be your field uh, uh, can be your colleagues from the field best is you have end users with which you collaborate in in the uh, uh, from the outside experts who really know what they are talking about because this all boils to me down to language we <clears throat> uh, we have uh, so many uh, misleading terms for example think in it of the term aggregate what is the first thing that comes to your mind Brent. oh let's see I, aggregate i'm thinking it's a big here, I'll use a phrase I saw recently when I was looking through stuff, a big ball of mud. Um, <laughs> yeah, and uh, but if if it is like overloading, could be if you're from the, the, the UML world, it can be something that you use in UML. It, an aggregate can also be something that you aggregate in the database. It could be also something to propel a ship, the aggregate in the ship, you know, turns the propeller so that yeah. you move uh, through the through water can be also something to create electricity to generate electricity so it really depends on the context that you understand what's going on there and this is where the the journey to microservices should start that you understand the area where you work in that is for us the, the starting point and there also the the mindset of the developers need to change. Uh, what is the meme we recently found, Dennis? Um, weeks of coding saved us hours of design. Yeah, I mean, that, that, the joke, like, right. I think you can tell that to any engineer and they will instinctively get it. Yeah. Because I think everyone will have been at that point. Well, you know, we always want to spend, it's so funny because I think of it from a, from a coaching perspective or a scrum master's perspective it's the trying to get engineers to actually sit down and have the conversation because so many engineers basically want to i just want to sit down and write code look i don't want to talk through this problem because talking through this problem is keeping me from doing my job and it's like and, uh, mm -hmm. and that's the point there we need to change the, the, the your your perception your self-perception talking through a problem have a conversation about design have an understanding of what's in front of you is way more effective than you start coding something at best you do it in a, a, a test-driven design mode sure yeah so that you have your tests ready but as we as i always say but that are tools and a fool with a tool is still a fool. So you need to understand what you're doing and not just hack away, even if it's fun. And I'm guilty of that too. I've done that in my career oh, too often. Just, ah, that's the solution, let's do it. Right. Yeah, but have a conversation in a pair programming session with another colleague. 
if you're a senior, take your junior next to you, explain them what they're doing. And suddenly you need to explain why you have called or uh, defined a method with this name and this uh, signature. And you have a conversation of, about design suddenly. And, right. then you, and then now we take the elevator one level up in, in, the, in the area of strategic design of, of uh, domain-driven design. So you figure out how does how can I separate my my overarching problem into smaller problems so that they uh, become digestible? And well, suddenly I think, you can. Well, no, sorry. I was just thinking about how this is a great way to transition to walking through the strategic classifications because there are three strategic classifications as part of domain-driven design. And we talked a little bit about the exploratory and then you were transitioning over to the strategic. So we, there, are the, there are three. There's the exploratory, strategic, and tactical. So you know, walk, walk me through yeah. what that kind of looks like. OK, we in the community, we concentrate on the strategic design and the um, uh, tactical design more. Because mm -hmm. the exploratory part we see in SAP in a very established framework, which is called design thinking. Sure. We have design thinking, we have all the tools, we have the brainstorming, we have our uh, uh, um, group and our core of, of coaches there, um, and they help you to understand if you have a business case, if you have something which adds value to your for your customers, and they start with you then uh, to figure out uh, what could be done to make the life of the end user, our customers, better and give you the chance to discover business opportunity. This is the one part. But then we have also in, in SAP, the, the, on the other side of the spectrum, all this, hey, uh, um, we have uh, uh, the, the build pipelines, the feature-driven development frameworks. But in between, DDD, especially the strategic and tactical design, helps you to guide your way from the finding the business opportunity and going to the architecture. And here, in in essence, the um, the idea of the, the idea of strategic design is that you bring in the domain expert with the engineer and let them collaborate. So they talk, they have a conversation. They like um, dear domain uh, um, expert, what is uh, does your day look like? Okay, a day in the life of we know that from design thinking, don't we? We know do user journeys. We do. Uh, um, user story mapping. We, uh, in the beginning, is also one part of the strategic design can also be that you have a business model canvas that you really nail down for whom are we working, giving the team purpose. And purpose is such a strong motivator. It's, it's incredible. If you understand why I'm writing this line of code so that the literature from controlling at the customer X, Y, Z, uh, can have her lunch break earlier when this run is over, for right. example. That is, a, that, and there you have really that thing. And if you know Alicia exists and you had a conversation with her and you collaborated, then you have also defined this language, which we call ubiquitous language. And there you really understand your end users and they understand you so that you don't fall in the trap to, to define, redefine the world in Zapanese, as I call it. So SAP specific uh, terms. And 
you go through that in, in workshops. So you, you jointly go through this domain knowledge and you build this up and they do this with the, with the end users, the domain experts uh, together in your team. And suddenly you also become not the huge expert that you work in that field, but you have that you have a decent understanding. And out of this common understanding of terms, meaning and domain knowledge and how stuff works in this process, out of this, you can then distill what is really the core problem that I need to solve. Where is the value proposition? Where is the value at? And uh, this is the, 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 the part, and it's, it's also the, the core domain. It's all, also a term out of domain-driven design. There you have then a model. This is applicable, but only to the core domain. And then you figure out, ah, there's stuff to make it run. I need to integrate maybe with something else. I need to ask someone else to do stuff. So this, how can I be support to be successful here? You see, supporting domain. And this has, has all, so its own model, its own semantics. And there's the generic stuff. Generics can be your authentication, authorization, document management, uh, uh, your open source frameworks for UI, your UI5 um, brilliant framework outside world if you want to do some uh, uh, business uh, front ends. Uh, you use your CUP framework. This is also then provided for you generic, but with this you can build your microservices. All of that is something you need to consider. And then you have found your, your core domains, but that is all what I call problem space. You really need to solve the business problem as if there were no computers. There are no, think of a world before inventing of the, uh, the invention of the computer, before it was used in the offices, how the world worked then. And we have our, one of our common uh, um, intros to, to, to that is, uh, Brent, when was the last time you had been at Starbucks? Uh, last time I was at Starbucks was uh, roughly 22 hours ago. Okay, so uh, that means you talked to a person uh, at the cashier. <clears throat> so ordering mm, or whatever. Mobile order and pay. I'm just going to tell you, mobile order and pay. Okay, uh, last time I've been to yes has been 2012. Sorry, I'm a bit outdated <laughs> here, 10 years ago. So <laughs> thing is, um, but you order. And you have this order process on the one side. You, you go there, you have your mobile, you, you tell them, and then you go there. And then there's this handover from the ordering, your payment, and then this is handed over to the barista. That is a semantical break. So mm -hmm. the semantics break from the ordering over to the brewing, getting your coffee, and so on. And then someone is writing your name completely wrong on a cup and is shouting your name completely obscured so that you uh, make a photo out of it and send it again via Twitter. See, so and I'll, I'll tell you, there, it's the yeah. reason why it's the reason why Starbucks mobile order and pay has been so awesome for me because Brent inevitably turns into Bart, Brian, Bruce, Fred. My favorite one is Fred on the cup. And I'm like, that's really cool. Wow. That's not even close to my name, but yay. Whereas with mobile <laughs> order and pay, they have a lovely sticker. And it takes your name and it actually says, oh, it's for Brent. The only problem you run into okay. is if there are multiples, but I, I, I yeah. defer, right? Yeah, yeah. So the, the, the point is you have there um, <clears throat> like three bounded contexts that we have identified. You have the ordering, you have the payment, 
you have the provisioning providing the coffee and you might have to pick up. So we have there several bounded contexts, but this is also now take away the mobile order and payment. In the good old days, you went there, you talked to a person, they have written down your order. Uh, they have handed this over to the, to the barista. They have done their work and then they shout the, your name. So this is when, as if there were no computers. And if you solve the business problem on that level, you see that, that you have um, <clears throat> a, a three or four bounded contexts there. And then you define these subdomains accordingly. And then you put them into context with each other. So you have a contract between the, 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 the cashier, the barista, and you. That is a contract. So you have can put them in relation to each other. And what we do in, in writing microservices, we have to do the same. You need to figure out how they interact with each other, but first on a conceptual level. And there you already can play the what if game. So if what happens if the barista is down, out for a break? So do you get your coffee instantly, synchronously? No, you don't, you need to wait. So how do you react on that? You're standing around scrolling through Twitter or Reddit or whatever tickles your fancy. So, um, uh, but that's the point. You, you need to solve this first. And then when we have found these boundaries, these semantical contexts, this, uh, these islands of knowledge, then we can uh, start diving deeper or going on this island and explore this step-by-step step and figure out then there. And then we are in, in tactical design area. So then, and, and, and there's- well, <clears throat> No, 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 I'm just curious because it, it sounds like, I mean, We've spent a, a good chunk of time here walking through a, a, a couple scenarios. I'm just curious as to how, or not how, but it's a where they all tie together. So, because we we talked through how exploratory was actually pretty pretty basic stuff, and that most of the conversations go from the strategic to the tactical classifications for yep. someone who's just getting who's like heard all of this and is going, well, this is really interesting stuff. How do I talk, how, what's the difference between a strategic classification and the tactical classification? So um, it, <clears throat> my definition or how, how I understand it is, the uh, strategic design gives you guidance how to set up your complete system. So your, your overarching architecture according to your enterprise architecture. And the tactical design, if you have defined your subdomains, your bounded contexts, your semantical islands, then you decide what is in there on this island separated from the others. And this is where the tactical design comes in. Okay. So that's the difference. So strategic is like playing chess and the other one is like playing Dane. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So, Philip, I think well, let's ask let's ask Dennis ask Dennis like Dennis anything that you want to throw in there because I you know Philip's I, I I'm like watching the you know for those of you who, who are on SAP and are watching this it's the you know Philip's just been going and Dennis <laughs> and I are like this is fun so Dennis anything you want to throw into what we've had a conversation on so far. Yeah, I, I mean, just to address that, that is a pattern. Like, uh, I like to say that Philip is kind of the evil genius, man, like the sidekick. 
Like I just chime in <laughs> if I think that something needs to be said that isn't said yet, but Philip usually does a very good job of that. Um, I think one thing oh, that is much. still very interesting in, in strategic design is uh, essentially it's Conway's law, right? Um, yeah. Organizations are restricted to produce software systems whose communication structure is a copy of the communication structure of that organization. Um, and like, I have a feeling that, that this is something that DDD brings to the table that many people maybe don't seem to get so much or like are not attuned to the really concrete implications. Like if you're designing an architecture and then hand that over to an organization whose teams are not aligned to that architecture, like you will not be able to implement that. And mm. this is also a topic where DDDA has a strong opinion on, and B also gives like very concrete ad advice on how to deal with that. Like that, there's we could go down a whole another rabbit hole regarding team topologies and, and so on, which is very interesting. Yeah, team um, topologies is always good stuff. Uh, yeah. but, but but like I think that is also keeping all of the social technical aspects in mind and in focus is, is one of the very important aspects of strategic design. Okay. I, I completely concur to that. And I would have gone there in a second. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for bringing that up. You, uh, you know, Brent, Dennis and I, we can talk for hours about this, this topic. So we know. Uh, we, well, it was so funny because we were talking about before before we actually started the episode about how we could maybe probably do a series just on everything. And I'm sitting here going, yes, let's first off start with, uh, let's give people a reason why they want to learn more before we start doing more. Yeah. No. And maybe um, another aspect for the, 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 um, the line managers out there. Because you're maybe oh, also sure. interested on how to how to apply this, and there may be two angles I I can give you there. And one is um, when you have identified your core domain, this is also the part where you should bring your A team, your experience, your best developers, your well versed communicators, and also um, the and there you should also prevent or not bring third party stuffing. Because they are mercenaries, they come in, they do the job, they get out. Right. And and if you have something, a service which is more supporting, there you can think of augmenting or supplementing your team, your expert development team with third parties, and there also you can consider more, um, uh, near shore development, which makes your life less costly, and it's not a harm if uh, a person leaves there on short notice, like from one day to the other. And then there is also, if you have something generic, like um, uh, um, some document management, et cetera, there it's important that you have a good supplier management and your sourcing is the key there so that you find the right tool for the job so that you cut their internal development efforts with a generic solution, but that has to fit. So you need also to have a decent amount of due diligence there. That's one angle. The other angle is um, 
if I have now, as uh, Dennis said, handed over the architecture or the architecture proposal to, the, uh, to an organization as the ivory tower architect, I come to that in a second, um, is also the, the, the point that um, these teams need to somehow distribute the work in a fashion that the friction between these teams, the tension, the political issues, the fighting for scope, whatever importance, uh, relevance is as little as possible. And there is a very powerful tool in DDD in a strategic design, which is called context mapping. And from my experience, the most IT software projects fail, not due to technology, it's because person A does not like the person B and they meet in the parking lot to discuss this between two cars. So I want to um, make sure that we cover something as part of this is the, because uh, you just touched on it, which was the bounding context canvas. So this is one of those things for someone who's trying to get interested or learn more about domain-driven design. They, I need to slow you down. That is okay. way too way too early in the process. We are See? still in. Let's go. <laughs> we are risk, and that is that is one of the dangers that is there. That you prematurely jump ahead in the process. That you not really have understood what it's in there. So if we start there, in in the in the strategic world, you really have nailed down your business process. You have understood what you want to do. You have found your, your scope with a business model canvas and user story mapping. The next step is you really design the end-to-end -end process. It can be rough, a bit fuzzy, but you understand, okay, how can I make my end user have reasonably happy with the solution? So there I always say, be when you develop that, have this startup mentality. It might not be perfect, but I figure out what is the, the best behavior my software can deliver to make Alicia's life easier. Because Alicia then, is someone who we definitely want to make her life happier. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, and uh, the, the, the point is, and then when you have understood your end-to-end -end process and you are reasonably expert in, in this, you decompose this into smaller parts. You figure out then your bounded context in this process. And these are then the semantical islands I've been talking about. And then after the decomposition, after play, playing divide and conquer, you know, good old Romans, um, then you start connecting the areas with each other. You make sure that the various areas, um, how they communicate with each other. And there you can use domain message flow modeling or BPMN. So, you see there's tooling which is already established, but the, the, the point is here we are have uh, then the, 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 um, the process established on a, on a very high level, on a strategic level. So the details are not there yet, but you had a rough, rough understanding. And if you have already achieved that, you can start playing the what if game and saying, ah, what if this bounded context is failing? How can I, um, degrade my service gracefully without being completely down? And how can I still provide a serve, uh, some kind of service to my end user and saying, apologies, our coffee machine has broken, but you can still have orange juice. So one of the things I wanna make sure that we cover is, because it got, it got touched on really early in the conversation, is event storming. 
And one of the things that I noticed in my prep work for all of this is that event storming is very similar to value stream mapping and how I'm curious as to where, because, you know, I, as part of this conversation, I learned that the bounded context canvas is more of the tactical spe space, not the exploratory, whereas I would think it's more of the exploratory. That's just me. So where does event storming fit in this? Is it more in the exploratory or is it the strategic or is it the tactical? It's it's more in the, the exploratory boundary and crossing the border to strategic okay. area. So, so, so give me this, give me a quick uh, highlight as to what event storming is, because you know, I could basically say to somebody that it's value stream mapping, and there's a certain chunk of our, our audience that would go, oh, cool, value stream mapping, and we do it here. Walk me through why or how event storming is similar or different from value stream mapping. Um, I think um, um, I can say how I perceive it, but um, Dennis is currently reading Alberto's book, so he might have the better, uh, the better sources at hand. Um, Let's so see. What, <laughs> so the, the, the idea is, um, uh, so we are talking about events. What are events? I events are immutable occurrences during a process. So something that is documented and is immutable, unchangeable. That is an event. And what you start is you collect the events of a process, of a domain, of an area of expertise where you want to model and solve a problem. So you want to understand the timeline of events that are occurring through a, a day, through a process, through a certain cycle. And you put this on a, on a timeline. And uh, the one part is you have there a brainstorming part where everyone invited thinks of all the events that can occur. Then you put them on the timeline. This is the first event, second event, third event, and so on. And then you make sure that they are consistent. You might have duplicates, you might have uh, uh, um, ambiguous uh, formulations, ambiguous definitions, you make sure that they are there. And then you start augmenting this event spine. You put the bones and meat to the spine. That means you are adding business policies and decisions you take and the intents and actions which are triggered by these decisions. And you formulate out of this as a, a very low-fi, low-tech approach. You have conversations how the process might flow. And in the end, you might also find areas which are not really designed or properly defined yet. And these are then hotspots. And you put these hotspots then in the... Um, uh, <clears throat> sorry, uh, um, they are so as your homework that you then go through this there. And uh, you can also bring in your your actors, that means your personas, who is doing an action and so on, and who is creating such an event so that another person or another actor or another system might need to listen to it. That is in essence the event storming as I learned it and I love to practice in, in several workshops and we also provide this for other teams in, in a four hour workshop. Uh, but Dennis, uh, over to you, maybe you have something to add. I, I mean, here's re really two things that, that I would like to add because I think they're there, like they, they, they need to be stressed again. So one thing is I recently rewatched uh, one of the videos where Alberto Brandolini, again, the inventor of event storming, um, presents this tool or this workshop format and like he really 
put it so well because in the past, what we in the software industry have done is we've merged the people, but we have combined the software. Like in event storming really does the opposite. Event storming merges the people, but splits the software, right? The idea is really to get, like this is nothing that you do just with a bunch of developers. Like you invite all of your functions. Like you should have domain experts in there. You should have developers in there, architects, product people, uh, so product managers, product owners, uh, UX people, user assistance developers, and so on. Because only then, and this is really where I think the, the power of, of this tool lies, you really manage to build a shared understanding of what you're trying to actually build. And then the beauty of, of modeling it in this way of domain of events and commands and so on is that it actually very naturally allows you to a see where your bounded context kind of naturally emerge from the structure that you're building yeah and and b also how to translate this into architecture and, and software and so on so like if, if there is one thing that the listeners I think should take away and should try out, in my opinion, it is event storming. Okay, which is actually a great place for me because I was going to ask you the question of, you know, if there was one place you wanted someone to get started in diving in for for DDD, what would it be? And Dennis, you you already stole the answer from for you, which was to go into event storming, Philip. I'm going to ask you where where's the place you would want people to get started. Um, I I like <laughs> to start with theory. So uh, look up at, in GitHub the the DDD crew, and there is the domain driven design modeling process. And here the the all stars of domain driven design came together and have started. Um, they are um, uh, writing down this process. I have tried to to explain here a bit partially so they give you a really good overview where to start and how to start that's one thing and if you want to learn more there's also the the virtual ddd it's another group um uh, the, the the teams are exchanging so it's a, a bit different community but they explain more about ubiquitous language and go there in detail a bit more that's that's one thing the other thing is um uh where you can also start with is of course event storming but um, I uh, uh, try maybe to take a bit more uh, um, a subservice, uh, a subversive approach and just go to your product manager and ask them, why are we building this? Where's the business case? Where's the value at? Why am I building this? Why am I wasting my lifetime with this code? Where is mean the, where's the purpose? Where's the meaning? Meanwhile, and, every uh, product owner who listens to this podcast is going, no, no, please don't do that. Please don't do that. <laughs> and, and that is the, the, the practical approach. That cost, that makes you think of, okay, where are the, the gaps in my understanding? How can I move this forward? How can I be more, uh, more precise with my coding? How can I solve this better? This is mindset. And then, of course, and uh, here we had wonderful... Uh, um, observations and and uh, and conversations in with the teams we have. So we had one team 
And there we had the first time the product manager and a senior developer working in the team for five years in the same in the same uh, um, workshop. And they explained, yeah, you do this with the with this kind of aggregate entity, and you do that. And then the the product manager said, she said, what you're doing that way? No, that's completely wrong. That's that's not possible. That how why are you doing that? Uh, that's just a database table, and I dumped data into it for the last five years. And the semantics are completely wrong. And the effect that this conversation sparked is that this line of business is currently considering to establish DDD as the predominant design discipline in their area. Nice. And, nice. and so that and so <clears throat> that you really bring together the people building the software. And in my team, we have built something. I consider the product manager as part of the team, of the family, of the of the clan of the group so that we yep. i call you know as an engineer i call this guy frequently and say hey um strategically is this more like that or more like that how do you want to have it and we have this kind of risk and you have this conversation and suddenly all this organizational structure is vanishing into the background and you really um build a tribe like for building software and there's we are suddenly back to team topologies and suddenly to spotifying our organization and we do this in a in a grassroots initiative so you see ddd brings you this 360 view of how stuff should work together and uh and it ties in perfectly into this this agile world because you do this in every sprint um and and over and over again so <clears throat> sorry, I need a sip of water. No, and actually, this is a perfect place for us to to stop because I think we've we've given it the full three hundred and sixty, as you say, and I think that uh, I am I am going to say I'm strongly sure. No, I'm just going to say I'm sure we're going to have you back because I think I'm going to want to do as part of this conversation. I think I'm going to want to have a deeper dive on just event storming, and then maybe a deeper dive on just the bounded context canvas. So gentlemen, I want to say thank you for the time. Thank you for being here. I appreciate all of this conversation. And until the next iteration, I'm Brent. I'm Dennis. I'm Philip. Until the next iteration, you can give us a five-star rating at your podcast provider. Reach out to us on mail at info at faster than standup.com, or you can find us on Twitter at faster standup. Thanks for listening. And that was Faster Than Standing. The opinions on this podcast are solely those of the participants and not of their employers.